Why are we here? Yeah, I know, we woke up this morning and got in our cars and drove up to the church building. Maybe you're here because you're visiting family. Maybe you're here because this is your church home. Maybe you're here because you had to teach Sunday school this morning. But I'm asking the deeper, more philosophical question, why are we here? What is the purpose and the point of our lives? And that's where we're going to start this morning. Yes, we're diving in, cannonball into the deep end of the sermon. Um, Why are we here? And at first glance, it may seem like an abstract question, an intellectual discussion. You may be tempted to turn off your mind and your heart at this point because you think that Josh is just going to talk about the meaning of life and why we're here. But the question why we're here is actually deeply practical and important. It's personal. It touches on the basic questions that we face in life. Think of some of these questions. For young people, where will I go to college? What will I major in? What career path will I pursue? What will I do with my free time? What about my thoughts and my dreams and my plans? What about our intellect and our money and our talents? Where should we live? How should we live? What is the point? What's the goal? In short, why are we here? Christianity has an answer to this deeply practical and existential question. And it's summarized in something that the Reformers rediscovered, sola Deo Gloria, roughly translated to the glory of God alone. Our lives, our past, our present, our future, our hopes, our dreams, our goals, our angst, the wins and losses, the victories and the the defeats, everything from beginning to end should be seen through this grid to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. It's an idea that was rediscovered and celebrated in the Protestant Reformation some 500 years ago. Think about it. As God's Word became available for people to read and understand in their own language, the Spirit of God lit a fire. And folks started to understand the reality of the Gospel message. They started to see that salvation is a free gift by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We can be forgiven and accepted because of the finished work of Christ. Once we understand that and believe it, once it takes over our hearts and our minds and our lives, there is only one appropriate response. Glory, praise, and worship, and thanksgiving, and honor to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you remember Revelation chapter 5? After Jesus took the scroll and opened its seals, all of heaven broke loose. Thousands of thousands said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's why we're here. To give glory and honor and praise to God. And it's not just at church. 
It's not just when we sing songs. It's in the big things and the little things in our lives. It should be with our words and from our hearts and in our lives to the glory of God alone. And if there's any legacy that we can take away from and celebrate from the Reformation, it could be taken from this truth. Sola Deo Gloria. Flowing from ideas like this from the Bible, my life is hidden with God in Christ. I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No greater privilege, no greater goal than to know and believe and live to the glory of God alone. So let's look at the passage together. Two things I want us to see. First, glorifying God from our hearts. First of all, I want us to think about glorifying God from our hearts. Romans 11, verses 33 through 36, comes at the end of arguably the longest and most detailed expression of the gospel message in the entire Bible. Romans 1 through 11 lays out the gospel systematically, clearly, beautifully. It talks about how we're all sinners, all of us needing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's explained in Romans chapter 3 and beyond that there's hope for our sins and our guilt through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It talks about how Christians grow in their faith. It talks about the source of our salvation coming from God. It addresses objections to the gospel message. And as Paul wraps up this masterful expression of God's love and justice and mercy, a summary of the Christian message, this is his response. A spontaneous outburst of praise and wonder and adoration and glory for God from his heart. Let's ask a few questions about what it means to glorify God from our hearts. First of all, what is God's glory? We talk about God's glory a lot, but it's one of those phrases that we can, we can lose track of since we use it so much. We have tempted to forget what it really means. In the Old Testament, the word glory means heavy. It means weighty. The glory of God is substantial. There's something to it. It's weighty. It's heavy. It's, you can't ignore it. The glory of God fills the earth and the heavens. The glory of God is something that when we sense it, we're humbled. We sit or stand in awe. We may say, wow, this is incredible. God is the creator and sustainer of the whole universe. Everything that was, everything that is, everything that will be has been created by him and upheld by him. From the smallest to the greatest, from things on earth to things 50 million light years away, God's hand is in it and on it, that gives us a glimpse of His glory. What does it mean for us to glorify God? One of the truths about God is that He is self-sufficient. He's self-sustaining. He doesn't need our praise and our adoration. 
but one of the greatest privileges of being made in the image of God and redeemed by His blood is that we get to reflect God's glory back to Him. It's His glory, and we're simply reflecting it back to Him and to other people. It's kind of like the moon. I hope this isn't news to you, but the moon does not produce light. The moon shining at night is a reflection of the sun's light on the moon, and it lights up the night sky. And we glorify God in our hearts and with our lives when we reflect the wonder and glory and power and grace and love of God back to Him and to the watching world. We see God's glory. We experience it. We're blown away by it. We reflect it by saying and singing and praying and thinking about God's power and His awesomeness and His grace and His compassion that He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We glorify God by reflecting His glory back to Him. Why is it hard for us to glorify God from the heart. Well, it's hard because we're tempted to believe the lie that this world and everything in it is not about God, it's about us. We need to constantly remind ourselves to remind one another, life is not about us. Remember Psalm 115, we uh, looked at it this summer. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. We need to pray it and remember it because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they all want us to believe that what really matters are my plans, my pleasure, my agenda, my desires, my happiness. The world and everyone in it is here to serve me. That's a real temptation. That's one of the stumbling blocks to glorifying God in our lives. We've seen this mindset playing out recently in our culture where we've seen people using and abusing and objectifying others in part because they think the world is about them. We're all tempted to believe that life is about us. And that's a fundamental stumbling block to the glory of of God and to us glorifying God. So, how do we glorify God from the heart? We have a case study here in Romans chapter 11. We have one of the greatest expressions of glorifying God from the heart, a spontaneous outburst of praise and wonder and thanksgiving. And we understand this from being at a ball game and your team scores a touchdown or hits a home run and everyone cheers. Folks get excited, they stand up and cheer. Maybe it's good news from the doctor. Maybe it's the college acceptance letter and you just start screaming and jumping and dancing and cheering with joy. You can't help it. You don't care what other people think. The celebration overflows from the inside out, hands raised, high fives, tears of joy. Here we have an example of glorifying God from the heart. What does Paul do? Look at Romans 11. He glorifies God for being God. He glorifies God for being God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments 
how inscrutable his ways. Words cannot do justice to what Paul is trying to describe. God's wisdom and knowledge is so great, it's so deep, it's so amazing. In a word, he is God. His judgments, his plans, his decisions are past tracing out. We can't figure out why he does what he does or how he does what he does. We can't wrap our minds around or control God's plan because God is God. His judgments are unsearchable. There are so many mysteries in this world. There are so many things that are incredibly awesome. There are things that are terribly heartbreaking. And at the end of the day, there's only one posture that we can really take. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We can cry out for mercy. We can ask for wisdom. We can tell God about our broken hearts and our regrets. And we can soak our pillows at night with tears. But glorifying God from the heart means moving toward Him and praying and pleading and believing, Lord, You are God. I trust in You. Even though I don't understand what's going on, I trust in you. Remember the words from the Apostle Peter in John 6 when people were leaving the ministry of Jesus and Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, do you want to go away also? And he said, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. The longer you live as a Christian, we have... We have opportunities and invitations to follow and trust God more and more with the details of our lives. To go into deeper water with Him. And there will be nights when you want to give up and throw in the towel and you wonder if God is in control or you wonder if God loves you. And it's in those times that we bow our hearts and heads and say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We're called to glorify God through the good times and the bad times because He is God. And we can glorify Him from the heart. What are some of the tools that God has given us to help us glorify Him? Glorifying Him should be second nature to us. It should come naturally. But it's difficult. It's hard. It's challenging. And God gives us tools to help grow us in glorifying Him. In short, these tools are called the means of grace. Prayer, God's Word, worship, the sacraments, fellowship. We need these things to recalibrate us to the gospel realities of life. It's like the way you get better at your sport or the instrument that you play. What do you do? You have to practice. You have to practice. And when we enjoy and utilize the means of grace, it's like we are practicing. When you practice, it helps you to execute that difficult move or to play those difficult notes. And then the goal is that you can do it with freedom. You can do it almost... A second nature. And as we practice, 
spiritual disciplines in our lives, God is preparing us to glorify Him in the good days and the bad days. To glorify Him from our hearts. It's what we were made for. It's why we're here. The second thing I want us to see from Romans uh, chapter 12 is that we can glorify God with our lives. Not only are we called to glorify God with our hearts, but we can glorify God with our lives. It's more than just the words we say. It's more than just in what it's inside our hearts, and those are very important things. But we can and should glorify God with our lives, how we live. God is God. He's incredible and powerful. To Him be the glory forever and ever. And Romans 2... Romans 12 verses 1 through 2 remind us that one of the ways we live for God's glory is by offering our lives as willing sacrifices, living sacrifices to and for Him. So how do we live for God's glory? First of all, in 12, 1 through 2, we see the appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. He appealed to them... And I appeal to you, glorify God with your life. Why? What is the motor? What's the motivation behind this appeal? It's the mercies of God. Because God has been merciful and gracious to you. Because He is God, He deserves the glory. And because He spread His love abroad in our hearts. We cannot make too much of this. Sola Deo Gloria is possible for us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If not for the mercies of God, the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith, we wouldn't stand a chance. Without Christ, our righteousness is like filthy rags. But because of His mercy, because of His love, because of His righteousness that He offers to us to become the forgiven daughters and sons of God, We have the privilege, by the mercies of God, to offer ourselves, our lives, to God. What is the response? Glorifying God with our lives. The response is this. To present our bodies as living sacrifices. Think about it. This is a weird concept. Sacrifices lose their lives. In the Old Testament, the bulls and the goats and the sheep offered up to God, they lost their lives. Jesus laid down His life as a sacrifice for our sins. He died and He rose again on the third day. Now we have hope and life in His name. And one of the benefits of the resurrection for God's people besides eternal life is the privilege to live our lives now through the power of the Holy Spirit constantly offering ourselves, our lives, to God. Not one time in a way that ends our life, but over and over again in a way that transforms and changes our lives. How do we do this? How do we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God? Through prayer and the confession of our sins 
and resisting temptation and pursuing good works and giving of our time and caring for the poor and helping the hurting and admitting when we're wrong and growing in grace, fighting the good fight of faith. What is the purpose of our lives? We are here, sola Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. We have the privilege and the joy to live our lives as living sacrifices to Him, holy and acceptable before God. This is what we were made for. This is part of the way that we glorify God with our lives. And chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 go on to explain the plan. The rest of the book of Romans explains how we should seek to live to glorify God. In verses 1 through 2 of chapter 12, there's a thesis statement. Since God has done so much for us, we should live our lives as living sacrifices to Him. How do we do that? First of all, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Part of the plan to glorify God in our lives is to resist the temptation, the potential of being conformed into this world. Into the way of life that's shaped and molded by the priorities that are not God's priorities. Kids, who likes to play with Play-Doh? I got a confession to make. I do too. One of my favorite things to do with Play-Doh is to squish it into the mold to make a little person or a building block or a car. That's the idea here. Part of God glorifying, glorifying God of our lives is resisting the temptation, the pressure, the trajectory of letting our lives be shaped and conformed by this world. Adults, many of us have experienced this in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, And I'm not talking about World War II. Um, If we do nothing, if we don't exercise, if we don't watch our diets, the trajectory is usually muscle loss and weight gain. We have to actively take measures to fight this. God calls us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to Him. Part of, and part of that is not being conformed to this world. How do we know if this is happening in our lives? Here are some cues that we might take, some clues. When we allow our thoughts and actions to be twisted and turned, sometimes subtly, from God's word and ways. Here are a few examples. For the young couple, it doesn't really matter what we do or the fact that we're not married yet because we love each other. It's just a few dollars on the company credit card. They're not going to miss it. It doesn't really matter. I'll just copy the answers on the test and the homework because you know everyone else is doing it. I just need one more drink because this has been a really hard week. Those are the subtle and not so subtle ways that our lives can be conformed to this world. What are ways in your life where you're especially tempted to be conformed to this world? 
That's part of God's plan. We know that that's not all of God's plan. We know that his plan for shaping us into the image of Christ is more than stop it. Stop doing bad things. There's a positive and beautiful aspect. It says it here in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Christian life is a journey. We're on a path where God is taking us home to glory and he's walking with us every step of the way. Christians have been forgiven and accepted by Christ. Now, the rest of our lives, what is God doing? He's shaping us and molding us into the image of Christ. We're being transformed, changed. We're being made new. Jesus is getting us ready to spend eternity with him forever. And this happens through the renewal of our minds as we actively live by faith, hearing, reading, preaching the gospel to ourselves and to one another. When we take God at his word, when we confess our sins and repent and believe, when we confront wrong thinking and attitudes in our lives with the promises of God, the Holy Spirit transforms and changes the way we think. And when we think in ways that are more in line with the gospel of Jesus, our hearts are changed and transformed as well. And we begin to glorify God with our lives. Through our hands and our feet and through walking in obedience, this is the pathway of transformation. And it doesn't always go from the head to the heart to the hands, but all those parts are engaged in God transforming us. Our minds need to be informed with God's word. Our hearts need to be moved and motivated. And we need to take action. It's all rooted in grace. What are some of the areas in your life where you've seen God transforming you? Changing you? What are some of the areas in the lives of your brothers and sisters in this room where you've seen God changing and transforming them? I'm convinced that one of the things we need to learn how to do more is to tell each other how we see God working in one another's lives and to encourage each other. We have this great privilege. God is changing us and transforming us and we can reflect His glory back to Him in a watching world. And then in Romans 12, it talks about the result. Glorify God with your life. The last part of 12.2 is the result. This is what happens when we're seeking to glorify God with our hearts and our lives. The appeal, the response, the plan. This is the result. As we grow in grace, as we live more and more to the glory of God alone, we'll be able to discern the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what this verse means. I do not believe that this verse is teaching that being transformed by God's grace gives us insight into figuring out the secret will of God. Some people view the world like it's one big escape room. And all we have to do is figure out all the clues so we can get out within one hour. The goal of our lives is not to figure out the secret will of God. We're called to live by faith. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about it this way. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And I think this passage, the result of seeking to glorify God with our lives, 
is knowing more and more how to live our lives for Jesus in a complicated world. Offering ourselves as living sacrifices, not conformed but transformed, helps equip us to walk in wisdom, to walk in the light, to know what to do in situations and circumstances that are hard to understand and hard to walk through. Implementing and applying the principles of God's word and ways in all of our life. So there you see, sola Deo Gloria, glorify God from the heart, glorify God with our lives. We've all been in the checkout line at the grocery store or hanging out at the park and that little baby in front of us starts to smile. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad your day is going or how gruff an exterior you have. If a baby smiles at you, you have to smile back. And we usually uh, act like fools and goo and God and, and we interact with a, a child that we've never met before. And one of the most beautiful pictures, I think, of God's grace um, and His love in the Bible is of God's face shining on us, of His um, countenance, a big smile, I love you, I accept you, I'm proud of you. Why are we here? To the glory of God alone. And because of who He is and what He's done, we can reflect His love and glory back to Him and back to this world and to one another. And so as you think about this passage, one of the questions I think we need to ask is, are you able to do that this morning? Have you stopped and surrendered and quieted your heart before God? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? And said, you are my Lord and my Master. That's the beginning of living in the way that we were designed to live. And becoming who you really are. If you know and love the Lord, what are some of the ways that you can grow and develop in glorifying Him from the heart and in your life? Are you utilizing the tools that God has given you? Are you walking by faith? Are you living open and honest before Him and others? Are you offering yourself day in and day out as a living sacrifice? Why? Because of the sacrifice that He made for you and for me. Sola Deo Gloria. It's not about us. 500 years and it still matters. Our lives, this world, to God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray.